I'm holding on to my AR-15. I'm watching out. I'm watching out for commies. I'm watching out for liberals. I'm watching out for Biden voters. And I'm watching out for that dang prodigal because when he shows his face right here, the first thing we're doing is we're going to go to Hobby Lobby. We're going to get ourselves a one of those Ray Dunn looking things. It's going to say, eat, pray, love. It's going to say, live, laugh. All I need is living, laughing, loving, and Jesus. If he doesn't put that up in his house, he's got no right to be here. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high school. Because my best days would be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know. Looking back, it ain't all bad. But damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high school. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another week of the Tension Podcast. We're a show that acknowledges most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. Each week, we look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches. We weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and we try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. We have met. My name is Jonathan Crone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Uh, you know, I'm every week. Every week, I'm just glad to be with you. Glad to be here. And honestly, uh, I had no idea what to expect when we said, hey, we're going to get Q&A from from people, but people brought it and they didn't bring the easy questions either. <laughs> uh, I don't think we got one single like troll funny question either. I was expecting something, no. but not, not a one. They're like, no, we need to talk about deep, deep theological and like philosophical issues here. Yeah. We got like, we told you to send in stuff that may not go with the culture war stuff. And you did what we said. Yeah. So we've got, like, we were just talking before we started recording and just pull back the curtain. Like it's been seven weeks since we finished up the season. So like yeah. episode one through six and next week's episode, those have been in the can. So yep. we kind of had to wait to do this one because we wanted to get your questions in. And uh, yeah, there are some here and there's no way we get to all of these in 45 to 50 minutes. So yep. uh, we're already going to tell you on the front end, we're going to try to do a bonus episode sometime in November or December to talk about some of these culture war questions. Some of the questions you sent in might actually become season nine or season 10 episodes, because I don't know that we could answer them in five to 10 minutes, which is all we have in a Q and a episode. So if you send a question in and you don't hear the answer to it today, just know we're going to try to get to them. If we don't get to them, we'll get you an email back with some answers, but, uh, there were some incredible things in here that uh, that you all sent in, and I'm super thankful for that because we never know what the response is going to be when we put stuff out there. So before we even get into this, before we get into some of these controversial things, I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for interacting with us uh, because it really does mean a lot to know that what we are creating is resonating with you enough to, that you trust us with your questions. So yep. thank you for that. And that this, these topics are important. And I think that's the, that's the issue. And, you know, John, I don't know where we're going to address this necessarily, but, it, uh, you're Did you look at the notes? Facebook. Huh? What notes? Did you even look at the notes? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I just don't know if this will come up later, but you know, uh, this, this season has had some, some pretty spicy back and forths with people in the Facebook comments of, you know, some of your posts and, I think what, what these questions did for me and that was like, you start to see the people coming out of the woodwork that it's like, it's obvious that there are people on one side. There are obvious that there are people on the other. We tend to interact with the people on the, uh, 
the right uh, politically, you know what I mean? Like that seems to be what comes out in our social media. And when we take a position that there's tension in between an extreme right and left, um, one, you get a lot of people coming out. That's like, this is, this is conversation that, that I thought I was the only one having, or like that I thought I was crazy or I thought I was alone. And so it's been good to gather up some community and let people know that like, you're not alone for trying to have a view that, that life is lived in the tension at the same time, at the same time, uh, it's obvious that when we take any position slightly towards center, then the people on, at least in, in our, our spheres, the people on the extreme right come out and they are, they are, uh, I don't know if I can say this on this podcast, but hurt about some things because it's so ingrained in our culture. That's why I think these, these topics and these questions are so important. Yeah. And we, we know that even those on the left, they, they don't like them either because like, I'll just be straight up with you. Like our listening audience is down. Our interactions mm-hmm. with those of you who are still listening has actually gone up this season or have actually gone up this season, but our actual numbers of people listening have gone down. So if you're like, that, that's why I say I'm so thankful for those of you who are listening to this. Um, I know you've stuck with us because you're trying to live in the tension with us. So I'm okay losing people who may not want to live in the tension, may want to either burn things down or want to stay, th- not even acknowledge the issues that we have. If they, if those people want to leave us, I'm all for that. Um, so yeah, thank you for those of you who are here. So with that in mind, I do want to respect time. I want to get to as much of this as we can today. Um, so we're going to start first question out. <laughs> Very timely. Let's go in the weeds. This one came in last week. Do you want you want me to read the questions since you've got the notes so I can I can uh, go with the questions here? Sure, go for it. Right, okay. When the terrorist attack happened in Israel recently, I got an email from my church saying, as believers, we are called to pray for Israel and stand with them when evil strikes, end quote. As I read about the situation in the Middle East, it sounds like Israel's government has done some pretty horrible things as well. Are we really supposed to stand with Israel in that situation? Jonathan, uh, can you answer um, uh, 2,000 plus years of uh, conflict in five to 10 minutes? Go. No, Um, (laughs) I actually, I I, I haven't put much out on social about this because it's such a nuanced issue, I think. But to answer the question specifically, where they said, um, are we really supposed to stand with Israel? The the pastor of their church said, we are called to pray for Israel and stand with them when evil strikes. Um, I think the place we need to start to answer that question directly is, that when the Bible talks about standing with Israel, it's talking about the Jewish people and not necessarily the Israeli government in 2023. I think that's an important distinction that we need to have. So with that in mind, you can and should and biblically are called to stand with the Israeli people against the terrorist attacks of Hamas. At the same time, you can condemn some of the things the Israeli government has done to the people, the Palestinian people in Gaza. Yep. I think we see throughout the new Testament, Jesus and Paul to an extent as well. They routinely supported the people of God while simultaneously standing up to systems and leadership that have, that oppressed people. So Palestinians 
even if they have rejected Jesus, they are still made in his image and Jesus still died for them. So if we really want to live in this tension, we have to acknowledge the entire picture. We can't just willfully exclude things and choose one side or the other. And it, it also can't be a what about. It can't be what aboutism. We have to acknowledge that innocent people should not be killed by terrorist organizations. Hamas is a terrorist organization. They have taken humanitarian aid that was meant to support the people of Gaza and they have used it for bunkers and bombs instead of the relief for those people. What Hamas did to Israel was 100% an act of terror and should be condemned to the fullest extent. The Israeli people have the right to defend themselves against terrorists. The flip side of the tension, the Israeli government has committed terrible acts of inhumane treatment to the people of Gaza under their current administration, and innocent citizens inside Israel and Palestinians in Gaza should not be put through what is going on right now, and they deserve our prayers and support. So to answer the question, when it said, when the Bible says to support Israel, it's the Israeli people, not necessarily the Israeli government. Yeah, I think that's the crux of it because, you know, which is a, uh, you know, if you've got your tension podcast uh, bingo card out, you've already probably marked the button where or the, the spot where Jonathan says, I want to respect time. So that'll be, you know, that's his as I close, just so you know. <laughs> and then because uh, <laughs> he's already mentioned it once and we're, we're barely in, into this at all, uh, 10 minutes in. But then uh, for, for my spot, it's going to be talking about how um, bad faith actors have taken something and um you know taken it and kind of hijacked it and I, that's not a pun for this situation but has uh, hijacked it for their own purposes so the israeli government is not the same as the israeli people the the uh the jewish people are not wholeheartedly one and one with israel and i think you know again i am not a middle east scholar nor am i <laughs> an expert in israeli history however i will say that um if you have been in Israel for any amount of time and you go outside of like the, 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 the typical uh, propaganda tour, I guess, from your church or from your whatever, you notice if you go from Israel to Palestine, there is a huge difference there. And so something is not being equitable. Um, something else I'll say is culturally, you have to acknowledge that even if we're talking about Palestinians, that that is not a religion. Palestinian is not a religion. And so like, if you go there, you understand that there are Palestinian Christians, there are Palestinian Muslims, and there are Palestinian Jews. I mean, they're like, th this is not the as easy as like, Palestine equals non Jewish Hamas. or non Judeo Christian and Israeli equals that. One of the things like when you go into Palestine, you go into like Bethlehem and we actually had on our tour, uh, you know, which I'm, I'm not saying is all in you know, the whole picture, but one of the, the, what happens, we, we left, we left Israel, our Jewish, uh, Israeli guide got off the bus 
and stayed in Israel. We crossed the border into Palestine and a Palestinian Christian Arab got on, on board and he was now our tour guide. And that was probably the most eye-opening piece is to see that, oh, this is not what I had thought or what um, the traditional word from the Zionist churches of like, we must stand with Israel against all other, you know, against all else. And it's like, well, the all else includes Christians in Palestine. You realize that, right? Um, and then to go, you know, to give a, a little bit of a, a nod to Jonathan's role here, historically, even Southern Baptists weren't like, which which are pretty much Israeli Zionist supporters. The Southern Baptist Convention didn't start to wholeheartedly support uh, a Zionist movement or like a pro nation of Israel having its own place until after 1948. And so there wasn't like this big call before then to be like, you know what, they need their own place and they, we need to take back the Holy Land until after this had happened. So it's like, as we've talked about for episode after episode, this stuff isn't something that's just always been true. These are political issues that are now changing. So um, I would totally agree that the, the bottom line, the easy answer to this is you can hold two things at the same time. I pray, support, stand with life, stand with justice, stand with people being able to live and protect themselves. At the same time, I can also say that the way that the nation, the political leaders in Israel are going about things is not right all the time. In the same way as I could say, I'm sure that in the Palestinian government, Palestinian, you know, like, they're they're doing things well and not well. It's okay to hold both things in the tension, but what I think we have to default to is just what you said. The people inside Israel and Gaza and Egypt and Syria and I mean all the surrounding areas that are going to be affected by this, they should not be put through what's going on right now and they deserve our prayers and support. And it the, our prayers and support don't need to be one-sided to say, you know, we're praying for Israel and no one else. Yes. And just because you can say criticisms towards the Israeli government does not mean you support Hamas or do not think they are a terrorist organization. So, right. Which is kind of what we're seeing. And that's what we're seeing in our, in our discourse here, especially on Facebook, you know, there's some comments and things like that going back and forth. It's like, if you say anything negative or critical about one side, it's like, Oh yeah, just typical church bashers. Oh yeah. Typical Israeli bashers. It's like, no, we're, we're not saying the same thing. If you were to ask me, Hey, let, talk about the conflict in Ukraine and uh, between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, yeah, guess what? Um, I, I don't think that Russia should be doing what they're doing in Ukraine. However, I'm also sure that there's some things that are happening from the Ukraine side that should not be happening as well. Like no, there, there are no white knights anymore. People are a mix of good and bad. And all of us, once we start to accept that about ourselves and others, I think things become much better for us. And we have a much wholer picture of humanity and how God created us and how, how our reactions are and why we need forgiveness. To put a pretty bow on it so that we can move forward, I would say the Bible never once tells us to support a government. Right. It can say, it tells us to, live within that government to respect its laws, but it doesn't tell us to downright outwardly support at all costs, a government leadership. That's not what the Bible was about. Okay. 
Speaking of governmental leadership, oh, God, I don't know. Eric, I'll let you read this one. Question number two. In the Good Fruit from Bad People episode, you talked about chewing the meat and spitting out the bones. Couldn't this same line of thinking be used to justify voting for President Trump? You eat the meat and spit out the bones with him. You may not agree with everything, but he supports policies you support, so you vote for him. I actually think this is a great question. Okay. Because ultimately, yes. The answer to that question is yes. You, you can do that. However, I think we have to be intellectually consistent. If you look back to that episode, we talked about how, like, if I'm going to mention something from Ravi Zacharias, I have to say, hey, I know what, what Ravi did in the alleged sexual assault was absolutely wrong, but he was right in this way. We have to acknowledge the things that they're bad at and the things that they're wrong. Um, I think we, we basically laid out the framework. I know he was wrong in X, but this was a good point. Whether it was, I know Driscoll was wrong abusing power, but I really like this theological point he said. So with former President Trump, you have to say, I know him raping E. Jean Carroll was wrong, but I agree with his economic principles. Or I know he tried to overthrow the government and spread lies throughout his entire presidency, but I agree with him on immigration, so I'm going to vote for him. The key here, I think, as Christians is intellectual consistency in acknowledging the failure. And that means not sweeping it under the rug or downplaying it or justifying it. It's calling what is wrong, wrong, and then saying where you agree. So if that is you, I mean, I'll straight up tell you, I disagree with you. I, I think he has disqualified himself from being the president, but that's my political view. From a Christian view, I've always said Christians can read the same Bible and disagree with how to apply it to the government. So I'm never going to tell you who to vote for. But I think if we're going to be intellectually consistent here, we have to acknowledge the, the areas where someone has been wronged before we can go into what we think they're right about, because we don't want to be seen as accepting or advocating for those areas where they were anti-Christ. So we have to bring those, we have to acknowledge those and not sweep them under the rug before we can get to the justification. And if you feel you can acknowledge and accept those negative things and still vote for him, that is your right. I will support your right to do that, even if I may disagree politically. I'm going to take another take. First of all, uh, <laughs> uh, first of all, let, I appreciate the question. I think it is a great question. So here, here's the, the argument. You eat the meat and spit out the bones with him. You may not agree with everything he supports, or you may not agree with everything, but he supports policies you support, so you vote for him. I would say that's a little bit of a red herring. I don't think he supports policies that that the per, you know this made up person that's supporting Trump supports. Trump was never a conservative. He's never been a Republican. The things that he says he's for in the Republican Party, if we just look and see conservatively, like he he doesn't have a track record for that. The guy is a guy who wants power. 
So I would say there's a bit of a red herring there. He doesn't actually support what you think he supports. He's willing to say and do whatever he wants in order to get power. So that is my personal opinion. I will stick by it. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm not arguing. I'm just explaining why I'm right. Okay. So there's that side. The other side is I would say that what we were talking about in eating the meat and spitting out the bones is different than what we're talking about with Trump. Okay. Because following teaching or following a principle is not the same as following leadership. At no point did I advocate, and I'm not going to speak for you, Jonathan, but I think you agree. At no point did I advocate and say, you know what? Uh, Driscoll was X, but you know, I'm still going to, he's abusing his power, but I still want him as my lead pastor. I know Ravi Zacharias is abusing women, but I still want him leading my organization because he supports the things that I support. So there's a difference between me reading a, a book from Driscoll or me, you know, still loving like his 10 things forgiveness is not like I still reference that all the time and say, hey, this was a really good point. This is really good teaching. This was something that was researched and put together and put out there. And I can evaluate that and I can eat that meat and spit out the bones of like, I don't put myself under spiritual leadership and authority of Driscoll. There is no eating the meat and spitting out the bones with Trump because you are, you have him as the president and the leader. So you're not spitting anything out. You're, you're essentially saying I'm okay with it happening. I'm just going to look the other way. That's different. And so that, that's why I, that's why I said like you and I take different approaches to things. I like people to come to the conclusion themselves. I don't think it's possible to acknowledge and say someone raping an, a woman is okay if I agree is wrong, but I agree with his economic principles. So I'm going to vote for him. I don't right. like, I don't see how a Christian can do that, can acknowledge sure. one thing as being so bad and still vote. For so if you can do that, sure. But I, in, in this case, as a Christian, I don't think it's possible to intellectually do that. You have to suspend some type of intellectual belief to justify that vote. If Here you can do that, that is your right. Yeah, I, I think this is more I don't the, see the how that's possible personally. Yeah, and I, I think I agree. I think the equivalent, if we're going to make an equivalency here of eating the meat and spitting out the bones with Trump, I could still watch Home Alone 2, where, you know, arguably Donald Trump saves uh, saves Kevin McAllister here, but like, or he gets to meet him. I can watch that and and still be like, okay, I think the guy's, a, you know, like, I don't agree with with what, oh, you know, I'm I'm spitting out the bones here, but I can still watch Home Alone 2 because that is that is consuming content. Or that is, you know, making a small choice of something individual from him. Same thing. Like if you want to watch The Apprentice or whatever else, if you, I don't know, if you want to read The Art of the Deal, I don't care. If you want to stay at a Trump hotel, I would even say like, I'm not necessarily saying that's my choice, but all of those things would be the equivalency of, I still, you know, use a Ravi Zacharias reference for something or a Mark Driscoll you know, listen to a Mark Driscoll sermon from way back when. That is different than putting yourself under their leadership because when you vote for somebody for president, there are no bones to spit out because that person, the whole person is is leading the executive branch of the government. So 
I th- I would say that's different. But great question. And whoever and asked the, me- it, the messiness I would love here, to hear your feedback on that. The messiness here that I want to acknowledge as well, so that I can be intellectually consistent, is in America where there's a two party system. If President Trump does get the Republican nomination in 2024 against President Biden, and you have significant issues with President Biden or the Democratic Party, there there's more tension with that there. And so I, I've always advocated that said you can vote for someone without supporting them. And uh, there's a difference between a voter and a supporter. So I think once we get to that situation, if it gets that far and he's not in prison, then I think that's a different conversation because that's a different situation. So um, I, I, I want to reserve the right to, to, to view it a, a little differently when you get to that point. I'm still not going to vote for him regardless, um, but I can understand your tension that you might be living in if it gets to that point where it's Biden versus Trump again in 2024. So I want to I throw that, that caveat out there before we move on to the next question. Yeah, and uh, again, because, because we can separate out. Situations do change. We, we remember, you have rights as an American, which are different and separate from your responsibilities as a Christian. and We've talked about that in a previous episode, so go listen to that. Okay, next question. Oh, that's me. Number three, as Christians, how do we approach our brothers and sisters in Christ who might have been unknowingly politically co-opted or are knowingly allowing their political views to supersede the teachings of Jesus? Asking for a friend. You guys did not make these easy. (laughs) Uh, the, the, the place, and the reason I can answer these easy is because I, I thought through them for a couple hours yesterday and wrote down notes. So, um, the Same. first place I would start, yeah, right. You, <laughs> <laughs> I would say we have to start with empathy, patience, and love. Uh-huh. And here's where I, what I mean by that. We love the person despite their political beliefs. We are on the same side as Christ followers, so this isn't a battle to win. So we, ha- we have to first approach it with that in mind. Second, we have to try to empathize with how they got to where they are today. We all, I would, I would guess at this point, we all know people who have had their fear stoked like a flame and have fallen prey to the manipulation that's happened through our current political and church environment in that way. So I think we have to try to empathize there and treating them like mindless sheep is unchristlike. It's also not productive. So um, we need to try to empathize with how they got to where they are today. And then we have to be patient with them through our discussions. They didn't get radicalized by Christian nationalism overnight. And so they're not going to see the error of that thought process with one conversation. If we truly want to help them move from where they are now to it, which is a politically co-opted version of the church and of Jesus, we want to help them move from that to a healthier, more biblically accurate relationship with Jesus. It's going to take patiently walking with them as you begin to tear down their 
co-opted views brick by brick. I mean, you have to pick a topic, ask them why they believe what they believe, and then point back to how what they're believing is both biblically and culturally inaccurate. My guess is for a lot of these people, they're not going to be able to explain why they believe what they believe. We talked about in the first episode of this season that they're getting marching orders from cable news evangelists, uh, culture war evangelists. And sometimes they're and so actual they're evangelists. Just, yeah. They're just, that's why, that's why I say culture war evangelists as well. Like it's cable news and culture war pastors. Um, so they probably don't even know why they believe. So they haven't actually taken the time to look into the scriptures to see how, what they're viewing is not in line with what the Bible actually says. So going back to our first episode of the season, you have to know why you believe what you believe so that you can have this, this conversation with them. And then Mm -hmm. If they're still unwilling to budge ideology, I can't say it, Eric. It's it's messed me up all season. Ideologically, you wipe the dust off your feet and you move on. You still love them and you still care for them, but you acknowledge the relationship is going to have an area of disagreement in it. And then over time, the hope becomes that by loving them and caring for them despite your disagreements, they'll start to see that the boogeyman that the culture war evangelist has created in their head of what people who are like you, like what that boogeyman is, is actually inaccurate. And then maybe through loving them the way Jesus loves them as well, they'll start to see the real Jesus through you. And maybe Mm -hmm. through that, they'll leave this politically co-opted version of Jesus behind. Yep. Yeah. I think it's first, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not really surprised and I'm kind of glad I, I got a lot of emotions going on. I would say I'm not surprised that we are in line with these, with, with these answers. Uh, I'm, I'm also glad that that's happening. And I also appreciate that, that you and I can take um, different approaches because of our, you know, I guess different ways of doing things. But uh, so I agree with everything you're saying. I would add to that, or I guess emphasize like, Number one is I think you got to take care of yourself with boundaries, um, especially if it's if it's a loved one, um, you know, so you have to really set where where you're going to be able to protect yourself um, and protect your relationship. So in some cases, I mean, this started all the way back in 2016 and even even before that. Right. Thanksgiving dinners, Christmas dinners, you know, whatever Easter, whatever gathering you have. You're going to have to set some limits on what we're not going to talk about, especially if it's someone that you just have to live with. The other thing would be um, me personally, I'm going to set some limits on what I'm going to allow to be said in front of me without challenging it. Right. So I think that's YouTube, the other, I'm shaking my head very yeah, right. vigorously so I think that, in agreement. That's the other piece is how do you get co-opted uh, into believing a certain way? It's because like we've talked about in our, uh, racial tension episodes in any other episodes like that is like you're just not exposed to real people in those other communities or having those other viewpoints and so like you know like you said lovingly if somebody brings up something that is just straight up not true or that is bigoted or hateful or whatever in front of me um we're we're going to, I am going to lovingly say that this is not acceptable in front of me. This is also the truth. And this is what, what I believe. And if we want to have a relationship moving forward, 
this is the boundaries and the guidelines that are going to happen. And so that would be number one is boundaries. That's kind of like, no matter what, even if you were to take the Christian side out of it or anything political side, like that's just it. That's the side. The other thing is I would think through, you know, if you grew up in church, you probably uh, have that story of, uh, you know, the older couple that's talking about their kids and they talk about their adult kids and they're brokenhearted because they got a prodigal. Oh yeah, my son, he's a bit of a prodigal. And we know in church language, we know what that's code for. What's that code for, Jonathan? If, if you said, yep, our, well, our oldest, he's a bit of a prodigal. What do you, what do you know is happening? They mean that they're not following Jesus, but chances are they just have disagreements in how they view life. Sure. Yeah. It could be anything from, you know, they, they have a anything. I mean, it could be, you know, massive drug addiction and now they're homeless and, and we're trying to help and we're, you so know, they like, voted for Joe Biden. Yeah. So they voted for Joe Biden or, <laughs> or, or they moved to California or Austin, you know, they're in yeah. Texas and they moved to Austin. <laughs> Anyway, it it could uh, could literally mean any of those things, depending on the church and depending on the boomer. Right. Or, or they decided to go to the United Methodist church down the road, bit of a prodigal, (laughs) like, oh gosh. Anyway, the, but there is, there, there are few visions of true faith than when you meet those parents And, and Jonathan, I don't know if you like, I'm thinking of a couple in my mind that's like, they have the real story of how they have lovingly prayed for their adult son or daughter um, who has just made choices that they don't agree with and made choices that honestly um, just aren't good for them. Very much like the story of the younger son, you know, and the prodigal son. And so it's like, how would we approach that situation in the same way? You know, what did the father do? He was lovingly had you know, at the porch every single day, waiting and watching he didn't, he didn't send somebody out there and he did he probably could have, right? Like all the, go to any story you've ever heard about the prodigal son. And like, that is the same situation here. And what I would say is like, just like you said, on the lovingly side, don't make it difficult for those who want to come back. Because what, when you read about some of this, like programming side is there's such a cognitive dissonance that exists in their brain, anybody's brain, who's been hijacked this way, right? Uh, e- even into churches or cults or anything else like that, right? That they cannot, to to come back, quote unquote, has to say that the way that they were thinking was wrong. And I don't know about you, uh, you know, I'll put up my mug again for for YouTube. Um, That's difficult for people. It's difficult for people to admit that they were wrong and to say that what they were, what they believed and what they were doing was wrong. And the, the way that they treated people, the way that they voted, the way that they spoke about things was wrong. To deprogram from that is very, very difficult. And if you make it tougher, they're never going to want to come back. So, you know, let put on the pastor hat. You hear the message about the prodigal son. What if the what if the father would have been standing out there on the front porch and he had his arms crossed and he had his brow furrowed? And when that younger son approached, he said, ah, that's right. You got a lot of nerves showing up here. You don't know what you've put us through. I can't believe what the things that you've done. I saw who you voted for. I saw what you were doing, right? Like you can play that out in the same way. The message is the same. And so uh, no matter what decision people are making, very similar. Don't make it difficult for them to want to come back. Establish boundaries for yourself so that you are not also um, in a situation where it's going to be worse for you. And uh, do what you can to preserve the relationship, right? 
that those are some of the main points that I would say uh, as as far as this. It, it does not help people. Like it does not help people to go and just beat them over the head with, you know, the the teachings of Jesus and how it's wrong to do that. You know, like you find a, a better way to do it. Use a scalpel, not a baseball bat to steal a term from friend of the show, Mark Driscoll. That's the meat. Spit out the bones. So for those of you who have been watching on YouTube, I've been smiling for the past minute because Eric's bad father who chastised the son for coming home apparently is the guy who fell out of the chair while watching TV and eating his Chick-fil-A a couple episodes ago. Uh, because he was That's turned right. on by the green M&Ms and needed That's to right. give That's his right. life to Jesus That's because right. Ariel was black. That is right. Same, I'm holding same on person. to my AR-15. I'm holding on to my AR-15. I'm watching out. I'm watching out for commies. I'm watching out for liberals. I'm watching out for Biden voters. And I'm watching out for that dang prodigal because when he shows his face right here, I'm going to make him. I'm going to make him come in and I'm going to make sure that he shops at Hobby Lobby. First thing he's going to do, I'm going to make sure that he, I don't know, I can't think of other Christian things right off the bat. But first thing we're doing is we're going to go to Hobby Lobby. We're going to get ourselves a one of those Ray Dunn looking things. It's going to say, eat, pray, love. It's going to say, live, laugh. All I need is living, laughing, loving, and Jesus. If he doesn't put that up in his house, he's got no right to be here. Moving on. All right, we've got three down. We're going to hit two more questions today because uh, we're already 35 or so minutes into this. and. We got to keep going. So Eric, number four, what's our next question in our current church culture? How do we live in the tension between the extremes, between what some would call legalism and progressive all accepting churches? And how do we know when it's time to push back and be a voice in your church versus realizing the need to find a new church? So here's the thing with this question. Like, I love this question. We'll get to it in just a second. Um, I know I exactly like who this came from. This in other episodes though. Kind of, sort of, yeah, but what I didn't expect from this Q&A is how many people would have questions about how to find a church, when to leave a church. Like We've probably got uh, on our list here another three to five questions about church-related things and how to navigate that. So um, that's probably just the idea of church and how to find one. We've hit on it in other episodes, but we're probably going to do an episode about that next season. So um, to dive deeper into church things, we'll hit that. But I do want to hit this mm. one uh, semi-quickly. Um, Eric, one of the things you've said a lot this season and in the past seasons is that the toxicity of anything is in the dosage. Yep. And so I think that's one of the cases here because there's never going to be a church that fits your preferred balance within this tension, the preferred balance between legalism of don't do this and progressive all accepting nothing is bad. There's never going to be a church that fits your ideal balance for that. Um, I absolutely love the church that I go to right now, but there are pieces uh, and places within our way of interpreting and living out the Bible where I disagree with the leadership of my church and wish they do things differently. We've had those conversations. Thankfully, my leadership is open and accepting of those disagreements. In my case, they're pretty minor things, and they're outweighed by the overwhelming amount of places where I'm in agreement with them. So I think the first place to answer this question is acknowledging that there, the tension that will always exist because we're trying to interpret a 
2,000 to 6,000 year old book that was first told orally and then written and transcribed over and over and over through multiple languages. And because of that, there's going to be differences and disagreements in the interpretation and application of that to our culture today. We have to start there. And so with that in mind, with the idea that we're never going to have perfect balance, I would point to Matthew 18 here, which might be a little cliched, but I think it actually is a good application here. If you feel your church has gone too far one way or the other, I think the first step would be to approach your leadership directly and tell them your concerns in a loving way that invites them into a conversation and is not an accusatory like attack at them. Like how you approach that's going to, to set up the rest of this. And then from that conversation, I think you'll have an idea what you do next because it might be a place where they understand where you're coming from. They just have a different view. That's mm-hmm. thankfully the case in my church leadership. Like they understand my argument, my perspective on, on things, but they view things and interpret things differently. And in that case, we can agree to disagree and go after the gospel together despite those disagreements. But they, the church leadership also might respond by attacking your interpretation and rudely tell you all the ways you're wrong. In that case, like it's probably time to go because there's no way things are going to change at that point. And so I think where I would leave it is finding a church where you can agree with them on the majors and lovingly accept disagreements on the minors. Like it's so ridiculously hard that I would shy away from counseling anyone to leave a church unless they're a hundred percent sure things have gone too far. And there's no way I can give you a blanket statement on that without knowing your specific situation. So hopefully there are some principles in there that you can help know what to do in your spot, whoever you are, especially (laughs) if you live in like Atlanta, Kennesaw, Georgia, I'm not a hundred percent sure what you do in that situation, but you can text me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's the asking for a friend part. Uh, Yeah. I think one of the things that I I was going to say during when you're talking about when you bring it to the church, I think a good rule of thumb is uh, figuring out, am I leading, am I leading with curiosity uh, or am I leading with my agenda? So um, I think if you can get to the point where you are asking the question, um, you know, let's see. Let me look at the question again. Uh, legalism and progressive all accepting churches. Okay. So like if, if your church is going one way or the other, that strays from what you, what you think is right. Um, instead of assuming you are right, go and ask, Hey, this, this is what I'm seeing. Here's what I see when I read scripture. Here's what I'm hearing from the pulpit. Because in some cases, having been in church leadership, sometimes you're like, Oh, shoot. Um, I didn't realize that what we were saying here was coming across that way. Yep. We need to make some changes, right? I didn't realize that this was the impression that was sending out. Really appreciate that. That's not the heart of our message. Um, but it, it seems to be what's getting out. Okay. So great. But if you lead by saying you guys are a bunch of whatever bigots or liberals or Marxists or whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever you're, whatever you're saying, then there's, there's no room for, uh, improvement, persuasion, anything like that. So I think you got to figure out like, what's my intent? Is my intent that I really love this church and I want to lovingly um, help 
make sure that we're all following the, you know, following scripture and following what Jesus has for us. If that's your intent, then you're going to approach it in a different way of saying, well, I don't think this is right. And I need to approach them this way, or I need to, you know, uh, I need to push back. I mean, even the question, I need to push back and be a voice. I understand that you probably don't mean it that way, but think about that language. I, I need to push back and be a voice as opposed to, I need to investigate what the heart of the church is and the heart of the leadership and figure out what's behind this movement. Because I, I mean, I can tell you, there's people I used to work with that now have planted their own churches that are just basically mini brainwashing facilities for the hardcore evangelical conservative Republican, you know, legalist church. And when you ask some of those people what what's going on, it's like, oh, well, we have to, you know, the reason is because we have to push back against uh, liberalism and progressivism in our society. And it's like, oh, okay, now I know that that's not, that's not for me. Because if that if that's your mission, then that's that's not something I can support. And really, honestly, there's nothing that I could say that's going to be a voice and push back to the level that is going to be needed for for actual change to happen. So if they're not ready to receive, then yeah, I think you need to find a new church. And I agree totally with what Jonathan said. No church is going to be perfect. Um, to go back to eat more meat from a friend of the show, Mark Driscoll, like you got to figure out what are those closed fisted issues that you're going to hold on to. And what are those open handed issues that you're okay with, with going back and forth on uh, here? Let me, let me give an example. My mom sat through uh, at our church years of a church that she loved that did not agree with allowing women to speak from the stage, the pulpit, the whatever, or to be in, you know, pastoral levels of leadership. And she lovingly sat through that and made her voice known and asked questions in a loving and respectful way. And like, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many years in, but you know, we had some of the best, we've talked about in previous episodes, some of the best speakers, teachers, leaders, pastors in that church were and are women. And it's like that change happened not because a bunch of people stood up and wanted to, um, you know, push back and be a voice, but it's because they asked questions, walked alongside and made it easy, really made it easy for the church to evaluate their view and make changes. And I know we're getting long, but I do want to add this piece to that. And part of this is understanding churches. And it, what Eric just said, like that conversation, that shift in the church he's talking about took a long time. And oftentimes these changes when churches acknowledge that things are, that maybe they got something wrong or maybe they, they need to approach it differently. Those changes from when they recognize something needs to change to when the change is actually implemented can feel like forever. Uh, and feel like they're not doing anything because changing the direction of a church is like changing a gigantic ship. If you do it too fast, you're going to throw a lot of people off board. And the example I'll give you is say a pastor, a lead pastor realizes something needs to change. Well, at that point, he can't just make the change or she can't just make the change. They have to go to their staff 
and talk with their staff through it and make sure that what they're thinking actually holds weight. And then if the staff is on board, they then have to take it to the elders for the direction of the church, or maybe they go to the elders first and then the staff second, depending on the leadership of the church. But anyways, there have to be multiple levels of buy-in before these things can be changed. And so there may be things going on on the inside of the church from the leadership level where these changes are in place, but they're not happening as quickly as you want to because you are an individual who have seen something and maybe you saw the error of the way you previously thought. And so you want to change it. Now it goes back to earlier this season, we talked about how we have to recognize our own biases. And sometimes when we change our mind, we want to press against the thing that used to be our, what we thought so, so harshly. Um, but just know that sometimes these changes can take a while. And I'm talking like not a couple months. I'm talking these can take 18, 24 months to make these changes because of how long it takes to get people on board so that they can do it in a healthy way. So if that's you, like have the loving conversation, you're going to find some stuff out from there and that will guide you and direct you where to go. Okay. I'm going to rush through a little bit because we got one. Just, I'm going to recommend two resources between before we move on in that category. Managing Transitions by William Bridges um, is, is a, that is a staple that you need to read if you're talking about this situation. The other one is The Land Between by Jeff Mannion. They both cover very similar topics. Jeff Mannion's is coming from more of a Christian background because he is a pastor. Um, William Bridges is coming more from like a psychology leadership, things like that. But the bottom line is, you know, to, to piggyback off of what, what you're saying here, Jonathan, is like you, you have, think about how much time it has taken you to get to the belief that you have. In some cases, it may be something you've believed your entire life. And so you've had 30, 40, however many years to develop that belief and, and really to wrestle with it. In the same way is if you come to a new realization, that realization you've been working on and milling around in your brain at some point for a while. To just get up and announce it to somebody and be like, hey, this is wrong. We need to take it. We need to turn. It does not give them the benefit of being able to work through that transition uh, as well. So like in, in managing transitions, one of the things they say is like uh, change is, a, is an event. That's a momentary thing. Hey, we are announcing this change. But even after you've announced that change, the transition to actually get people on board takes a long, long time because so many things, the old way needs to die before the new way can actually be accepted. So there's so much that goes along with change that even in this conversation is like, yes, push back, but you have to be so patient in the process. A Saul to Paul conversion on something as massive in your church as, you know, women in leadership is not going to be, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be overnight. It's going to be a slow process that's going to work its way through. Okay. We rushed through that because I wanted to get to this last question. I, we, this is where we're going to end this, this episode. I so first don't of all, know how much longer this is going to take. Hang on. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to this one. So okay. I don't know how long this is going to take because I'm going to read the question and the notes say, Eric, this feels like one for me to step back and just let you do Eric things on. So here's oh. the softball pitch. Take your swing. So we, I am setting say, Eric up and he's going to go and how long this episode is today will depend on what Eric says to answer this question. Okay. Okay. Here we go. 
This question actually comes all the way from Australia. We have a fan in Australia. I think it's Yuhan, Yuhan. I hope I say that right. But he comments like an every on everything. Week listener, subscriber, every week, commenter. It's a YouTube comment. Thank and so, so I'm much. so appreciative of it. Um, there were multiple questions sent in, but I'm going to answer this one. Is cultural Marxism the threat to the church that many pastors and church leaders make it out to be? I am currently attending a church where the leadership is increasingly becoming so captivated by the culture war that we as a family have decided to move to a different church altogether. Every sermon is basically a drinking game where you take a shot every time the terms woke, progressive, liberal, or cultural Marxist is spoken. They have derogatory views on anything remotely smelling like social justice, and every week it's a warning that one day the cultural Marxists will take over and stop our church services or have our pastor sent to prison for, quote, speaking the truth. The problem is that, like with most terms in the culture war, Marxism is another one of those terms that I feel has become so nebulous and undefined that it becomes the go-to boogeyman for conservative evangelical pastors to scare their churches into voting for the right politicians or standing against anything that's left of John MacArthur. And he made sure to say that was a joke. So, Eric, I'm going to step back. I'm going to shut up. Here's the floor. Uh, okay, so this is... <sighs> There's a lot here, the, but the basis of the question is cultural Marxism. Jonathan literally stood back from his desk. <laughs> the question is, is cultural Marxism the threat to the church that many pastors and church leaders make it out to be? The answer is no. No. In fact, I would push back and say uh, that the focus on these uh, straw men or boogeymen like cultural Marxism, like woke, like progressive, like liberal, like social justice, those are the threat to the church that we need to actually be taking uh, into consideration. Here's why. Um, I do not want to make this a direct one-to-one -one equivalence, but I hope, I hope our listeners can, can see the same playbook being used. When you have a country that is facing economic despair after a recent uh, defeat in a, we'll call it a world war, uh, maybe even the first world war. And um, they are looking for a way uh, to get out of their situation. And you have a charismatic young leader or group of leaders that come up and now they're going to point to an enemy that can be the source of all of the wrongs in their society. What happens in that situation? Let's say the enemy becomes a culture or a, you know, a, uh, a religious slash culture slash ethnic group like the Jews. Now you're rallying a group of people behind a common enemy and they will do horrific things because they believe that that enemy is now the cause of their problems. Fast forward. Let's say you have a group of people that traditionally would not vote conservative, but because a charismatic uh, leader with a what we would call a populist agenda or a populist platform comes to power and starts to blame things like immigration, immigrants for their problems, or well, liberals, or whatever, or the uh, the swamp, the the. Um, you know, the people in power in Washington. Now you are rallying support around a common enemy. And we've seen people do horrific things. 
like actually go and storm Capitol buildings, like send bombs in the mail, like show up places with guns because they were told that these people are the enemy. So I would say that if your church is spending more time talking about these things, the overarching problem is they're rallying everybody around a common enemy. So like we've talked about in previous episodes, woke, progressive, liberal, Marxism, social justice, communism, whatever you want to say, um, none of those words matter anymore. All that means is this is the enemy that we are putting everything in so that we can point to that as the problem so we can rally support around it. I would say that that is the biggest problem. Not the big, I, I can't say the biggest problem, but I would say that is a bigger threat to the church that we are rallying our people around a common enemy rather than focusing on the things that we need to focus on as a church. So I think in general, if you start to hear your church or the leaders of your church rallying their people around a common enemy, if that enemy is not something like uh, poverty or uh, I, I mean, I get like, huh? False what? teaching. I mean, false teaching, but even like that can be put under the, you know, oh man, all these are, but, but like, think about what are, what is the enemy actually? Not what are, what are the attributes that the leader is attributing to them? What are we talking about the enemy? Because I mean, again, on YouTube, you can see it. I, I live in New Mexico. I live in a border town. And when we say the enemy is those immigrants or even worse, those Mexicans, now all of a sudden it's like you've taken away their humanity and you've made it into something different. That's like, uh, I see things completely different while being here than maybe relatives or friends and family that live in middle America and probably differently than, than you might, Jonathan, or the people around you. Right. So it's like that that's different. So when you say woke, progressive, liberal, cultural Marxist, you're taking away the humanity behind the actual issue and you are just labeling them in a similar way as if you're like the problem that we have in this country being Germany in the 19, you know, thirties and forties is the Jewish people. And it's like, if you can strip that away and go, wait a minute, wait, what? No, how, how did we get to this point where we are now making them the problem? And I, again, that's the issue. So good on you that at that point, if you have left your, your, your church and you're looking for something different, that needs to happen. I could add um, more, but we've hit our time. And so I might be crazy. Well, uh, uh, give me, give me three points. Give me your three points as you close. Well, what I would say to that is I would ask them to, to define cultural Marxism because my right. guess is anyone who's railing against that can't actually define what that actually means. Yep. So um, I would ask them to define it. I think that if they are rallying people against an enemy and not in favor of Jesus and the re restoration that he came to complete here on earth, then that is a major issue. And because of that, I, I think you should leave that church. Like I said earlier this episode that I have a hard time telling people to leave churches, but if a church is rallying its people against other people, and against an ideology, instead of rallying them around the love, hope, restoration, forgiveness, all those attributes of Jesus, then that is a major red flag of a church 
that has been co-opted by something other than the gospel. And I can say pretty confidently that you should probably leave that church. If that's the message coming from your stage and your leadership every single week. I would point you to a song uh, by Derek Webb. He used to be in Cademan's call. And I know he's a controversial figure now and in, uh, in church circles. And in fact, uh, you know, I wouldn't use this lyric to give to the pastor of that church that you're talking about. But if you, if you just read the song King, the kingdom, you know, he, talks about it too says my first allegiance is not to a flag a country or a man my first allegiance is not to democracy or blood it's to a king and a kingdom there are two great lies that i've heard the day you eat of the the day you eat of the fruit of the tree you will not surely die and that jesus was a white class white middle class republican if you want to be saved you have to learn to be like him because nothing unifies like a common enemy and we've got one sure as hell he may be living in your house he may be raising up your kids he may be sleeping with your wife Oh no, he may not look like you think. And it's like, man, that hit me. I don't know when it was written 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's like, shoot, we are rallying people around a common enemy and we are ignoring the enemies that are within. We are ignoring the enemies that are happening. We're rallying people around a common enemy of Palestine and ignoring the atrocities that are happening in Israel. We are rallying people around a common enemy of whatever progressivism and Marxism and ignoring the things that are happening within. And it's like, I think we need to take a broader look at these situations before we just start making everything black and white and about good versus evil. So we have hit our time for today. Um, we're going to go ahead and try to like Eric made fun of me for saying earlier, respect your time. We will get to these questions in a bonus episode sometime in the break between seasons. If you have any other questions, you want to send in, you can send those to us on social. Eric is at Eric W seven, one, two on all the major platforms. I'm at Jonathan underscore Corona them as well. You can email us at hello at tensionpodcast.com. next week. We are wrapping up season eight with an episode that Eric has been asking to do for two years. Can or should Christians celebrate Halloween? I told him the only way I would do this episode is if he played the role of me and I got to play the role of him. So next week he's driving the ship and we already recorded it. It's already been edited and ready to go. So I can tell you you're in for some fun. Uh, if you like the show, do us a favor, rate us and review us wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you listen there. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. Share this episode with a friend if you think it would be helpful. But as always, Thanks for making us a part of your day, and we will talk to you again next week.